Hello and welcome to the Anchor Faith Message Podcast. Enjoy this message. Tonight, I just want to uh, review some things real quick and then um, launch out into the word that's in my heart. Um, obviously, Pastor Earl and Pastor Marcy take it very seriously coming in from uh, transitioning from one year to the next, and they prayerfully consider anything that the Lord would have them minister or any kind of themes. That doesn't mean we have a theme every year. If the Holy Ghost isn't say anything, we don't ever try to force anything, right? Uh, but there has been a theme over the last few years, and really it's been rain. Uh, R-E-I-G-N, right? And we get that out of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 6 says, uh, And he, Jesus, raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the emphasis this year is reigning him and staying seated in that position of authority. And then in our kingdom rise, which we do uh, every other year, there was another word by the Spirit of God through um, Dr. Gee, and just want to remind you of that and combine these th two things, and then we'll launch out into uh, some specifics. But uh, it was a great word that he gave us, but really it was one of simply revival and awakening. Everybody say revival, revival. and awakening. And so that, that became a very uh, specific goal and passion uh, of the ministry currently and going forward, all right? Because we are expecting and have seen uh, many thing, great things transpire since that time. And we're just getting started. Amen. We're just getting started. You know, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get to see uh, the life of Jesus, his interaction with people, and the training of the disciples. Now, in the book of Matthew, at the very, in the very last chapter, Matthew 28, there's what we call the Great Commission. Really, there's two great commissions that the Lord Jesus Christ gave. One is found in Mark chapter 16. We'll get to that in just a second. The other one I want to talk about right now is Matthew 28. And I feel it's very imperative to bring this up as review. With those two words, it's time to reign. It's time for revival. It's time for awakening. It's time to reign. It's time for revival. It's time for awakening. And we need to line up with this great commission. Jesus, the head of the church, gave a great commission. It's not an average commission. It's a noble cause. And the word co-mission means co-mission. That means we're working together with him. He's not doing all the work himself. Neither are we doing all the work ourselves. We're working together. He is the head of the church and we are the body. All right. And the head gives all the, uh, operations, all the directives, all the guidance. The head has the vision for what he wants to see done in the earth. And, but it's the body that actually operates what the head wants to do. So this first great commission is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And we'll read this from the New King James Version. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here's the first commission. Go, therefore, make disciples. One translation says, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe 
all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So I want to point out some things in this first great commission that we're working together with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We're working with them together. He said to go make disciples or teach all nations. That word teach literally means to be a disciple of one or to follow Jesus' instructions and precepts. This is important because he's given us direction. He says, so go make disciples of all nations. So you're going to follow his instructions, his, his precepts. He said all nations, every race, every tribe, every color. We are to go make disciples of every nation, every race, every tribe. And he said that you are to teach them to observe. The word observe means this. We are to teach people to guard, to keep, and to attend to carefully. Touch your neighbor, say, don't get distracted. Look to the one on the other side, say, don't get distracted. To guard. You know, in the beginning, some of you are looking at the wall, but it's okay. There's power in confession. In the beginning, you know, God created Adam and he placed him in the garden. He said, you're to guard the garden. And Adam failed to attend to, to keep, or to watch carefully what God commanded. And he, he let the enemy persuade him, his wife, you know, which he gave into what she suggested. But he didn't keep what God had said to do, right? And so when we got in this first commission, man, we are going out with the, the great news of truth by the power of the Holy Ghost. And we're explaining to people, man, this is a great life in Christ. And if you just follow the plan the precepts and the instructions of God. It's going to be a wonderful adventure on the earth. Amen. You know, salvation is just the beginning. If you've ever been with Anchor Faith, if you've been at, for, with Anchor Faith Church for any period of time, you know that salvation, man, is a wonderful experience in God, but it's just the beginning of a life with him. We start with life with God the moment we give our life to him. Amen. So we have a relationship now, just not when we die and we go to heaven. There is vital communication happening right now, as Dr. Gee says, throne room activity where we can communicate with God on a daily basis for the plan, the purpose, and the intent he has for us on the earth. You study Genesis to Revelations, there's always a plan that God has for every man and woman, and you'll see it laid out in, you know, in those, in those uh, books in the Bible. So we're to go make disciples of all nations, uh, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. The second great commission is found in Mark chapter 16, verse number 15. Now, this has a little different spin on it. I really want to put a greater emphasis, not that the other one's not important because obviously it's of equal importance, but just want to highlight this one to a greater extent. Mark chapter 16, verse number 15, Jesus said to the disciples, he said to them, go, starts the same way. Go. Don't sit. Go. Go. Into all the world. Everybody say world. world. Say world. world. And preach the gospel to every creature. Now, it's interesting when you look up this word world in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in. It's actually the word cosmos, which de defined as this, an apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution, an order or a government. So really, it's the world is how society runs. The arrangement 
of how society runs. So one commission says, go make disciples. This other one says, go into all the world, all the cosmos, into every sector of society. Now, it's been studied throughout history. When you look at a sector of society or an arrangement of how a nation operates, there's seven things that every nation has as principles. All right? I'm going to give those to you tonight. So if you're taking notes, you can write down A through F. That's the way I remember it. So the word world, when it comes to sectors of society, these seven things define what a world is. The arrangement, the order, and Jesus told us to what? Go into all the world. So he's telling us to go into these seven areas, right, and to preach the gospel to every creature. So number one, A, is arts and entertainment. In every sector of society throughout history, there's always been some form of arts and entertainment. Secondly, B is for business. There's always some kind of um, marketplace or uh, financial transactions, whether it's bartering or monetary, but there's always businesses in every society. The C stands for congregations. All right. There's always communities and events of people that are getting together in any sector of society. D stands for direct media, which for us would be like social media. Hallelujah. I was going to say Julia. Hallelujah. But direct media, right? E stands for education. In any sector of society, there's always some form of education. And the last one, F, stands for family. In every society throughout history, there's always, obviously, families involved in that society. Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world, these seven things, and I want you to preach, proclaim, publish, the gospel, the good news to every creature. So this needs to be in the forefront of our mind when it comes to the plan of God for your life. What sector of society are you going to be into to, uh, in tomorrow that you can go out and influence? It makes life exciting when you know, man, I got the greater one on the inside. My mind's being renewed to the word of God. I'm exercising authority. And every day is a day of purpose and a day of passion. There needs to be a burn or a passion on the inside of us when we get up in the morning that says, man, I can't wait to get out and influence and affect one of these seven areas of society. And there's not a greater time in history than right now. There's a lot of darkness in America, but guess what? It just keeps getting lighter in the kingdom of God. And don't look at it from the negative Look at it from the positive. There is a lot of people to reach. It reminds me of a story of two uh, traveling uh, shoe salesmen that went to Africa, and they called back to check in to the home office. And the first salesman called back and said, it's horrible. Nobody wears shoes here. The second salesman called back. He said, it's great. Nobody wears shoes here. Right? So we get to get up in the morning with a passion, with a burn. What are you going to go out? Are you going to get into arts and entertainment? Are you going to get into business? Are you going to get into congregations? Are you going to get into direct media, right? Are you going to get into education? Are you going to get into government? I think I skipped G. 
I skipped G, didn't I? There's always government in every sector society, and F is for family, but what uh, area can you go at? And God has a plan for every born-again believer, every child of God, and he is the master planner. You got to trust that. As Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean to your understanding. Acknowledge him. And guess what? He will direct your path. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you. God knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Now, he's given this prophetic word through the prophet Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah was what they call the weeping prophet. Nobody really liked him. He didn't have a lot of friends on Facebook. But man, nobody wanted to listen to him. They rejected his message. But you know what? He was right in the middle of the plan and the purpose of God. And, and people did not move him. And you cannot let people move you. Or let me say it this way. You should not let people move you when you know, all right, God, this is your established plan for my life. So he said, I know the plans for you have you. This word is coming because they're getting ready to go into 70 years of captivity because of all the sin and all the idolatry that the children of Israel let in. You realize that sin is like kryptonite to Superman. Just for an analogy, it weakens us. It, it tears down our spiritual strength. It fogs our vision. And eventually it takes us out of the plan of God. And the children of Israel let so much idolatry in and so much sin that God brought judgment on them. But he was giving them a word saying, you're going into Babylon, Babylonian captivity for seven years, 70 years. But guess what? I know the plans that I have for you and you're going to come up out of it. Amen. So there's always hope. Say there's always hope. There's always hope. Say things can, get better. things can get better. In Ephesians chapter one, verse number 11, the Bible says in him, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, God has a plan for us. The question is, are you lining up with his plan? He has a destiny for you. He has a purpose for you. He has counsel for you according to his will. But guess what? We have to line up with that. We are free will moral agents, so we have the ability to make a choice whether we do or whether we don't. You know, when Moses went up on the mountain with God, God gave him the blueprint, gave him the plan, gave him the architectural drawing for the tabernacle. And it was elaborate in its detail. How much more in the New Testament, because we live in a greater covenant, does God have a master plan for your life? You know, the Bible says that we are the temple or the tabernacle or the Holy Ghost. He puts so much in the tabernacle in the old covenant. How much more is he putting into your life today? Now, all this in mind, when we go into all the world, A through F, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse number 13 and 14. We have two purposes when we go into all the world. Two purposes when we go into all the world. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, it says, you are, you are the salt of the earth. Somebody say salt. salt. He says, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So the first aspect is, listen, we are salt to go out into the world. Secondly, he says, you are the light of the world. 
a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under the basket, but on a lampstand that gives light to the all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when we go into all the world, there's two things we're doing. We're being salt and we're being light. Listen, when it comes to salt, in order for it to work, it has to make contact. You can have salt in your cabinet, but it does no good on your food unless it makes contact. So we need to get around some people. Hallelujah. Salt has healing properties to it. So you become a healing bomb when you go out into the world. Because you have truth. And the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. So he said, number one, you're salt when you go in the world. Secondly, you're light. Salt I call active evangelism. Light I call silent evangelism. Because light doesn't make a sound, but you see it. And to me, this is just your daily character and conduct. How do you carry yourself? How do you conduct yourself? There's a a, a real dear friend of mine at at Rhema. He's been there for some time. His name's Brian uh, Cumberland. He's been to the church actually many, many, many years ago to actually uh, teach a supportive ministry conference for us because he's been at Rama Bible Church where Pastor Marcy, uh, Rama Bible uh, College, and myself and my wife graduated from for since 1980-something, went from Pennsylvania, and he just stayed there. That's where God assigned him. So he worked a, a secular job and just served. He, he ended up getting to the head usher position. You know, 20 years of service, he did the, uh, the cancer outreach at the local hospital and just served wherever they needed it, wherever God was leading him. He was just faithful and got plugged in. But he worked for a certain company and um, that actually helped other uh, Christian ministries um, do some advertising, some different data stuff. And he was a supervisor for that company. And uh, one day he came in and they uh, stripped him of his title and uh, demoted him and gave him a reduction in pay. Hallelujah. Chance to be light. So he said, you know, when I'd go home, I'd flop on the bed every once in a while, have a real good pity party and cry. But I'd get back over in the spirit. I'd pray through and I'd go and I'm what Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man. You know, this isn't the first time that a man or a woman well, has been demoted in this story. I'm telling you, it's happened in the Bible. Joseph rose in rank only to be wrongly accused and wrongly sentenced and thrown in prison. But when God is with you, you always rise to the top. When you're following the plan of God and working together with him and maintaining a righteous life, God will always have your eyes. So even in prison, he became second to the warden. And then when you think that, man, you people forgot about me because he, he interpreted two dreams. One was restored to the position with the king. He told that person, please remember to tell the king 
when you're restored because I'm giving you the prophetic interpretation of your dream that I'm wrongly in this prison. You know what? Two whole years go by. The guy forgets about him. The king has a dream. And the guy says, oh, yeah. There's a guy in the prison. You know, that's a lot of opportunity. That was a 13-year process when we're reading through the Bible in just a couple chapters. But to put yourself in his shoes, it was a process that obviously he forgave. He didn't get bitter. He trusted the Lord no matter what. So Brian, you know, just kept working faithfully at this company. And you know what? Eventually they restored his pay. They restored his position. But it was shortly after that, uh, that Rama, the ministry that we graduated from, called him and said, hey, we want you to be over the whole book distribution. I like that because... I don't, who wants to fill out a resume and go through an interview? You know, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. I like that phone call. So now he's, you know, I talk to him often because we're all, you know, we're ordering stuff for the uh, altar care ministry. Um, but he's doing a wonderful God, a job and God just exalted him. But he was light to that company when he could have been complaining to other employees, when he could have complained to his spouse, when he could have let that situation uh, take him down. He chose to reign. He chose to stay seated in heavenly places. And if we're going to have uh, ex expect revival and awakening, we need to maintain our love walk. We, may, we need to uh, maintain our righteousness walk so God could use us to a great degree. How bad do you want to be used of God? Isaiah, man, had a vision of heaven. And man, if we could just stop and our spiritual eyes would be open, he said, woe unto me when he saw the vision. I'm a man undone. God took coals from the altar, touched his lips to purify his speech. And then Isaiah said, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. And that should be the cry of every believer at Anchor Faith Church during this season of revival, awakening, and reigning is use me, Lord. So see, when your character and the call or the purpose line up, you have credibility. So light, silent evangelism has to do with the character that you display on a daily basis. How do you respond or react in situations? At work, at home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, you get to practice this on a daily basis. This is the good thing about it. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Before I read this, I've been, had on my spirit this year to study the life of Jesus. So I'm obedient to what God says. So I take an hour each week and I'm studying through this. And up to this point, thus far, I've studied 28 miracles, signs, wonders, and healings that Jesus has done. Of those 28 miracles, signs, wonders, and healings, four of them were in the synagogue. 24 of them took place outside the walls. Think on that. So when you're out, you come to church... To get equipped. Ephesians 4 says the fivefold ministry, the pastor, the evangelist, the pastor, the, pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the apostle, the prophet. 
were given what for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry to go out into the world so that the body of Christ would what be edified 24 miracle signs wonders and healing took place because saints were ours were and are still being trained up under anointed ministry to go out into all the world so the exciting adventure happens at your work happens at your home matter of fact uh, off the top of my head two or three miracles actually happened in a just somebody's home that Jesus did he healed get this hallelujah Peter's mother-in-law he cares about in-laws <laughs> and he cares about outlaws but wherever you go God will use you whether it's inside these walls or outside outside the walls but predominantly in the life of Jesus most took place outside of a synagogue or what we would call a church so you know the, I, I say the service really begins when you get outside and you're saying Holy Spirit I'm at the gas station <laughs> Holy Spirit I'm in Publix I'm at Walmart right I'm getting my oil changed I'm at the gym hallelujah I just had a, an opportunity recently to flesh out praise the Lord I'm at the gym and uh, have two benches. It's a mild crowd. Sometimes it's really packed, so I try to be understanding, you know, just walk in love. I'm always aware if somebody's using a piece of equipment. But this guy comes up and um, older guy, you know, probably in his 60s, and uh, kind of looks at me real rude and mean. He said, are you using that bench? Yeah, I am. I'll be done in about three minutes. He just keeps on staring at me real stupid. <laughs> I said, do you have a problem? I said, oh, I better check myself right now because I can feel. <laughs> I could feel it. And the deal was the bench that he wanted, one was adjustable, one's flat. So what I do, light, 20 seconds, I have self-control. Put the flesh down, put the emotions down. I said, you know what? I'm, I'll, I'll give you this bench. You don't have to wait three minutes, you know? I even took it over there for him. I said, you want me to wipe it down for you? Because I'd sweat. No, it's all right. I said, praise the Lord, that's victory right there. Silent evangelism, right? But these are opportunities where we can witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It said, in this I pray... That your love, listen to this prayer. Man, if you could just pray uh, these prayers daily over your life. There's several uh, prayers that the Apostle Paul prays. One, this is one of them. And um, I've been praying this regularly from just different translations. It's very powerful. And this is for the church or for any believer that you know. Now, this is from the Amplified Bible. He said, this I pray, so he's praying, that your love may abound more and more, displaying itself in a greater depth in real knowledge and in practical insight so that you may learn to recognize and treasure what is excellent, identifying the best and distinguishing moral differences and that you may 
be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Now, this is the part I want to get to. Actually, leading li- or, uh, living lives that lead others away from sin. Let's, let's read that again. Actually, actually living lives that lead others away from sin. Actually living lives that lead others away from sin filled with the fruit of righteousness which uh, comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God so that his glory may be both revealed and recognized. Now in Ephesians chapter 4, if you're taking notes, write this down. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 through 32. It says this, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 through 32. Now this is written to the church, so this is our instruction, this is our precepts, this is what we should be doing daily. It says, and be continually renewed, continually renewed, continually renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude. Do you have a fresh mental and spiritual attitude every day? This doesn't just automatically happen. He says, put on. Somebody say, put on. Do you put on clothes every day? I hope so. But you need to put this on every day. Just like you make a choice, and and some of us are elaborate laying out our wardrobes, right? How much more the spiritual things of life that we need to put on, right? Uh, The new self, the regenerated and renewed nature created in God's image, God-like, in the righteousness and holiness of the truth, living in a way, listen to this, living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. Let that sink in. Living in a way that expresses to God. Does your life express to God your gratitude for him saving you? Therefore, reject all falsehood, whether lying, defrauding, telling half-truths, spreading rumors. This is written to the church. Any such as these. So he just gives a little a snippet of just a little bit. He said, speak truth with one another. For we are, we are all parts of one another. The body of Christ. It says, be angry at sin, at immor- uh, immor- immora- immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behavior. Yet do not sin. Do not sin. Do not let your anger cause you shame, nor allow it to last until the sun goes down. One translation says, be angry and what? Sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Are you dealing with things? If you're going to be salt and you're going to be light and you're going to go into all the world, it's going to take a thing called consecration and dedication to the plan of God. How far do you want to go with God? Listen, there's a... Actually, this happened in the Old Testament, but it became a type and shadow for us. We know the story that for 430 years, the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, right? And God sent a deliverer. His name was Moses. Moses takes them out of slavery because the plan for God was to do that, to lead his people out 
And God always brings you out to bring you in. So God had a plan to deliver them from Egypt and take them to this place called Canaan land. Now, Egypt is a land of not enough. They didn't have, you know, enough food, enough supplies. I mean, it was barely getting along existence. And that's how some believers are, is barely, um, you know, getting along. That's actually the wilderness. Egypt was a land of really bondage. Canaan land was a land of more than enough. And just like that prayer that your love may abound more and more, God wants to really see greatness developed and maximized in your life, but you have to work with God. This journey from Egypt to Canaan land was 11 days, but because of five sins found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which I won't get into, it kept them from the plan of God. We can self-destruct the plan of God for our lives by the choices we make, the thoughts we think, or we can go on with God. So anyways, getting back, don't be angry. Don't let the sin go down on your anger. So let things go. Drop it. Release it. Let it go. Yes. One of the greatest ploys, tricks, strategies of the devil is to get you offended with somebody. <laughs> Life is too short. Man, it affects everything when you open up bitterness in your life. It starts on the inside, but it works its way out to where a disease can start to ravage your body. The vice grip on your mind will start to destroy and destruct your, your mind. But God has an antidote. By the power of the Holy Ghost, we can forgive and let things go and live a fresh mental attitude every day. Matter of fact, Matthew 5, as we read that some at the end of that chapter, it says, pray for your enemies and those that persecute you. God makes his sunshine on the just and on the unjust. So we used to say things like, Lord, I, they don't know what they're doing. I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I realize they're letting something else dominate them, so I'm not going to get in the flesh. I'm going to get in the spirit and keep my mental, my spiritual attitude right. I'm going to pray for them and lift them up. I pray for laborers across their path today to plant seeds of life and seeds of truth. That's how we handle it. Church, reading on, do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. The thief, has, uh, the thief who has become a believer must no longer steal, but instead he must work hard, making an honest living, producing that which is good with his own hands so that he will have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome, foul, profane, worthless, vulgar words ever come up out of your mouth. How are you going to be a light for Jesus if you're at work and you're doing this? Hallelujah. Right? But only such speech as is good for building up others according to the need and the occasion so that it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, but seek to please him by whom you were sealed and marked, branded as God's own for the day of redemption, the final deliverance from the consequences of sin. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, perpetual animosity, resentment, strife, fault finding and slander be put away from you, along with every kind of malice, all spitefulness, verbal, verbal abuse. And what is that last one? It's different. I like, well, they're not to the next one yet. I'll just skip that one because I don't know how to pronounce it. 
And it's verse 32, be kind and helpful to one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse number 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. That is separate you from profane and vulgar things, make you pur pure, whole and undamaged, consecrated to him, set apart for his purpose. May your spirit and soul and body be complete and be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, I, I said all that because we are to be salt. We are to be light. Salt makes contact. It's active evangelism. Light is silent evangelism, but it still has a plan and the purpose of God to reach the world. A through F, those seven things in the, sec in, in, in the sectors of society. Now listen, as we're talking about revival and awakening, I believe that it's time for a revival and awakening in one of these sectors of society, and that's the family. I believe, and you can see it, uh, the breakdown, right? The attack, the confusion, the modern philosophy. This goes against the plan of God. But the great news is, man, we can have a revival and an awakening get on right um, into this in this family sector of society and see a, a great revival come back to life and make priorities priorities right there's been such a breakdown if you really you study history of america since its in inception um really from in the early 1800s there was in my studies, until about uh, 1947 was the last one, there's three major philosophers that really started to whittle and to shape um, the education sector through philosophy. But what happened is, you know, in World War II, we had a lot of fathers that didn't come home or came home traumatized. And so the 60s was a really a, the beginning of where we're at currently. You know, that's when, if it feels good, do it. Uh, the hippie movement. But like Dr. Gee pointed out, anytime that there's a, an attack of the devil on one of these sectors of society, there's always a man or a God or a woman of God that he rises up to stand in the gap and to bring a word in due season to awaken the church. And as Dr. Gee pointed out during Kingdom Rise, is that, you know, the charismatic movement took off in the early 70s. And even Time Magazine, uh, you know, the Jesus freak movement, hippies are getting born again, giving a life to Christ. Many are getting converted. They said it had a greater social and economic impact than anything that happened in the 60s. But today, I believe there's going to be a great impact when we position ourselves to do what the word says. So I just want to challenge you remind you and review the importance of the family in this revival, in this awakening, in this year to reign. You need to position yourselves. It's great to go to church. It's right to go to church, but we got to live this at the house.
And you can. God would never call you to do anything that you couldn't do. He wouldn't tell you anything that he, ha do, that he hasn't equipped you or graced you to do. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, the word says this, Behold, Matthew, uh, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers, what, to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So the prophetic word is trying to get the father's heart to be turned towards the children. So there was, they weren't guarding, they weren't keeping, they weren't observing the commandments, the precepts, and the teachings of God and the importance that they had in their roles as fathers. So the prophetic word was trying to tell them, listen, get back to what I told you. Tonight, God's saying, get back to what I've told you. He said, if you don't, there's going to be damage done to the kids and there's going to be a curse on the earth. And friends, I'm telling you today, we are seeing the product of dysfunctional, destructive families. It is a fact that uh, one out of four women are abused physically. And it's typically by a relative or a close friend of the family. And that doesn't even register the emotional abuse. Now, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to get us to rise up to the position that God has destined us for. Right? But the reality, that's happening. And there's a lot of uh, men and women that are preoccupied with other things. But we need to get back to the priority and purpose of God. Now, the Bible lays out some very specific and wonderful truths uh, regarding the duties of wives and husbands. I'm just going to review these for you. Um, I like the Amplified. And so I'm going to read uh, these particular verses. I'm going to read these to you out of the Amplified. But I just want to encourage you, man. Don't make the home hell on earth. Because marriage will be the closest thing to heaven or hell you can have on the earth. The choice is yours. Now, when it comes to families, too, I want us to take up a mantle. Everybody say, take up a mantle. I'm going to challenge you for the next 30 days. If you have a lost uh, uh, relative or family member, raise your hand. So here's my challenge to you. Pray for them. We're talking about the family. This isn't husbands, wives. This is cousins, uncles, aunts. In-laws, right? Pray for them. We have uh, the Pauline prayers out at Guest Relations. You, and another prayer you can pray for them is found in Matthew uh, chapter 9. Towards the end of that chapter, Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He would send out laborers into his harvest field. So God commanded us to pray for laborers to be sent out. So any lost relative that you'd have, pray for them. Because this is part, this is your family, right? Now, I know you're part of the family of God, but this is your biological family. Why don't you pick up the mantle and pray for them? Now, I was doing this some years ago, and I'm like, Lord, I just don't want to be checking off a box and feeling good about myself. I'm seeing no manifestation. I'm calling out. 
names of people in Texas. I'm calling out names of people in Ohio. These are where my relatives are at. I'm calling out names of people in Oklahoma. And I, I'm not hearing, because I know some of these people, they get born again, they're calling Andrew or I because they know how we live. And they're going to ask questions. So I know if they have an encounter with God, guess who they're coming to? So I'll hear the testimony. But we were there visiting several Christmases back, and uh, one of uh, Angie's cousins, who I call his name out often before heaven and for labors to go across his path, uh, he was talking to her. And man, like, I'm inside, they're outside um, cooking pizzas on this nice uh, brick stove oven they just built. And, um, and I'm, I'm thinking, what are they talking about? Angie came back in and, and gave me the lowdown of the story, though. Uh, he's not, doesn't know God. I mean, never grew up in church, unchurched. Family's wealthy. His dad was in insurance, very affluent, but broke in their mind and in their spirit. You know, always searching. When you don't have God, you're always searching. It's insatiable. You always try to fill your life with something, but it's never enough. So you always go back thinking, oh, this will bring me satisfaction, but it never does. So he was telling Angie that he was at a P.F. Chang's restaurant on a Friday night. He's having all these stomach issues, you know, and uh, he's, he's going to the doctor and he's just having trouble um, with um, digestion and, you know, going to the restroom. And so he's in, he's in the stall at this P.F. Chang's uh, going to the bathroom and this guy walks up next to him and starts this conversation. So Aaron's his name. He's like, what is this about? This guy's like trying to be really friendly next to me. And so they go, they go to the sink to wash their hands and the guy's still continuing conversation. And um, he's asking Aaron, and this is silent, you know, you have sign evangelism, but this is salt. And so what he's doing is, it's fishing. He's putting bait on the line. He's saying, oh, you're having some health problems, you know, there's, there's maybe some, some herbs or some dietary changes you can do or uh, that could help with your healing process. So the guy follows him all the way back to the table. <laughs> and by the time we get to the table, he said, can I pray for you? And Aaron said, sure. And so, man, this guy starts to praying on for the healing power of God to hit him, to go into his digestive tract, to heal and to cure everything. And you know what? He got better. After he left, the waitress comes up and she said, you know who that was? No. She said, that's Todd White. Now, if you don't know Todd White, he's a, a radical evangelist that goes all over the world. And I mean, he, he'll go out. He's salt <laughs> all the time. <laughs> if you've ever seen him. But I said, God, you are faithful. I prayed for years. And that encounter happened. So you don't grow weary in well-doing. You have faith in God that it works. So you pray for those lost ones. And hopefully the habit becomes and the passion becomes, I'm going on past 30 days until I get a testimony. Now for husbands and wives specifically, 1 Peter chapter 3 Verse number, uh, verses one through seven, just look straight ahead if your spouse is sitting next to you. No elbows. 
Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Does it say to run out and find a godly husband? If you're married, the Bible doesn't say that. It says to, by your conduct, by your light, you can win them over. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. This is the Bible, not modern day philosophy. There's a big difference between truth and just what we think would be good information. Good information could lead you to hell. Truth will set you free. Rather, um, I read that, which is very precious to God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trust in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah uh, obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and do not be afraid with terror. Now, husbands, you're not off the hook. This is for you, husbands. Because I love the balance in the Bible. Balance is the key to life. So not only God does instruct the wives, but he also instructs the husbands. He said, likewise, dwell with your wife. Now, this translation says understanding. Another one says knowledge. Let me just insert that Hosea in his book said that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. knowledge. Men, husbands. You need to know and have knowledge about your wife. Do you realize she's not the same as you? Do you realize she doesn't think the same as you? <laughs> you know, at birth, a man, the hemisphere in his brain is split when testosterone hits, and he only functions out of one side of his brain from that point on. Seriously. In one of my research, too, they said that a man's brain is actually 10 to 11% bigger than a woman's brain. Now, the woman asked, why doesn't he use it more? <laughs> and he's only using one side. But because he's only functioning out of one side, this will set you free in the marriage covenant. Listen, ladies, he's A to B. Straight line. All right? So when you're talking to him, he's, what is he? A to, B. a to B, straight line. If there's a problem, guess what? We're going to fix it. <laughs> Something's broken at the house. Man's thinking A to B, fix it. Now the woman functions out of both sides of her brain. So she sees, she, she sees things in a grid. 
Not only does she tell you what's broken, she tells you how it made her feel. And most men, because they're A to B, they think if they just fix the problem, they've solved it. But ministry is listening. So men need to learn how to listen to how it made them feel. You got that? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, if you don't have knowledge, discovering her is a process, not an event. And if you're a real man of God, you're on a lifelong journey, commitment, and covenant to discovering all the gifts and all the treasures that God's put in that vessel of yours. So it's a process. You do this while you're courting. That's true. Oh, men are good at it. We, you listen, don't you? Come on, guys. Come on. You remember in those dating days? I mean, the clothes smelled good, right? The car was washed. The door was opened by you, right? The meal you paid for, right? And you were just like, just talk to me all night. Matter of fact, sometimes after you get done, you'd go back and call her when you get the house. Some of you that were really involved fell asleep on the phone <laughs> together, right? But then you get married and you get the hunter mentality. You, you, you got it. You stuffed it and you mounted it. And it's hanging on the wall like every other picture that you barely look at anymore. So if there's going to be a revival in the family, then men have to search, seek, pray, discover their wives, understand them. And likewise, you know, we get personality tests in premarital counseling just for the fact, you know, there's phlegmatics, there's sanguines, there's melancholies, there's calorics. And there's no two personalities when it comes to marriage that are the same. So just the fact that a man only thinks out of half of his brain and a woman thinks out of both, the personalities are different too. But God knows what he's doing. So a caloric is what? Driven. Militant. Phlegmatic, laid back. Put those two in a room together. <laughs> How's that going to work? You know, a sanguine wants to make everybody happy, be the life of the party. Melancholy is all admin, details. You get a melancholy and a sanguine who's the life of the party, how's that going to work? Right? But God knows what he's doing. Amen. Say Pray. Pray. The family that prays together stays together. 
in a marriage covenant, you get to see everything from strengths to weaknesses. And in all that, you get to apply agape. I told my wife when we got married, divorce is not an option. And forgiveness is not an option. If this thing is going to be successful and we just are celebrating 20 years, this week where our girls at East Coast Camp was actually back in April, but we've been hot and heavy in a remodel in the home, which is been very consuming so we said this is going to be like our appetizer I, but I I made a B so this doesn't solve it I still got to plan something after this Luke <clears throat> hallelujah <laughs> but it's been like heaven on earth for the most part I'm telling you guys and it works for anybody 90 plus percent of the time man the kingdom of God is manifesting in our relationship, probably 95%. Righteousness, peace, and joy is flowing. And it's nothing special about me or her. You know what's helped a lot in our marriage covenant is we are more um, evaluating ourselves than we are this other person. A lot of times when it comes to counseling in the marriage covenant, we get a list you know, not a literal list, but they come in with, in their mind, everything that they're not doing. And we got to real quick point them back. What is your role? What did God tell you to do? Yeah, your husband's a jerk. He's an idiot. I, I concur. So what are you going to do? The Bible says, wives, without a word, by your conduct. That takes faith, right? So, but if you would just evaluate yourself, David said in Psalms 26 too, examine me, O Lord, test me and see if there's anything in me that's not right. And if you would just evaluate yourself more and then be a great cheerleader to your spouse and pray for them, man, you would experience a greater degree of heaven on earth. And we'd see a revival and an awakening. Listen, the church right now statistically is about the same rate divorce-wise as the world, and that should not be. All right? It says, so dwell with them according to knowledge, back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7. It says, giving honor to the wife, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now listen, weaker does not mean she's, physically she's a little bit less strong than you, Hopefully. And hopefully she doesn't know Taekwondo, MMA. But if we're so strong, men, then God would have gave us childbirth. The weaker vessel, though, means this. You know, in houses, typically you have um, plates cups that are for everyday use, right? That are more durable, correct? Uh, you run them through the dishwasher, every day they're being used. But then typically you have what you call a china cabinet in your formal dining room, right? And what's in there? China. 
China breaks a little bit easier, right? And it's a little more delicate, but it is very costly and very valuable. That's what the Holy Spirit's saying is honor, value your wife as the weaker vessel. Listen, it's that your prayers will not be hindered. So men, once again, to close this, this one out, I'm going to finish on Ephesians 5. Uh, but man, if you're not treating your wife right, your prayers are hitting the ceiling and coming back down. And that becomes a very freakish, frustrated, discouraging spiritual walk with God. I like what I heard Mark Hankins say one time. He said he got on his wife in the kitchen and he went upstairs to pray to God. And God said, I ain't listening to you right now. If you know Mark Hankins' voice, it's real deep. He said, Lord, I thought we're buddies. You know, why don't you listen to me? You ain't cheating my daughter, right? You know, he does his voice. He said, you better get back down there and apologize. So he said he went back down the kitchen and he's fighting his pride, you know, and he's talking about the weather and <laughs> different things. Finally, he said, I, I want to apologize. I wasn't treating you right. And if a real man blows it, a real man repents. Amen. And he takes responsibility for his actions. Let's close in Ephesians chapter 5, all right? Um, from the Amplified Bible, I read these 11 verses. Ephesians chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 22, it says this, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Listen to this, as a service to the Lord. So really, it's not just your husband you're trying to honor. You're trying to honor God in this. When you're not, when you got to think of it this way. When I'm honoring my husband, I'm really honoring the Lord. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to the husbands in everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. Now, I like the way the Amplified reads it, because some denominations use this as a stamp. Well, I'm the head of the house. Well, no, you're an idiot. I've used that twice just because I'm trying to get. Man, a real man, the greatest is servant of all. I don't have to. Usually when you have to pronounce your title on that kind of heart attitude, you're trying to establish authority. But really, you can earn honor. And the greatest way, men, that you earn honor and trust with your wife is by keeping your word. If you say you're going to do something, do it. That builds trust. All right? So it says, respecting both their position as protector and the responsibility of God as the head of the house. Now listen, husband, love your wives. Seek the highest good for her. Surround her with a caring, unselfish love. Let me give you an example of that. There's, there's been times I've come home and, man, there's dishes in the sink. Last thing I want to do, especially when you're putting out all day, right? And, and, you're, and you're going all day and you're, you know, just high productivity. But I, I've sat there doing dishes before just thinking the greatest is servant of all. Matter of fact, I had to take correction from my wife because I got in such a servant mentality 
that she said, the girls have to do something. <laughs> I'm just, you know, to, the, to the, everything within me, I'm trying to be the greatest example to my daughter. So when they're done with their plates, let me take it to the dishwasher, let me load it. But you know what? I heeded to my wife because she was right. They got to learn how to take their dishes. Clean and put Because I'm not teaching them to, to just get along with me. I'm trying to teach them to get along without me. And if they never know how to fold some laundry or do some chores. But at the same time, there's many times where, man, unselfish love just says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve. I'm going to clean the floor, right? I'm going to fold some laundry. Hallelujah. These are practical things that show unselfish. I'm going to speak. I'm going to go shopping <laughs> with my wife. Glory to God. Why do you guys, why do, you, do a lot of ladies keep the bags with receipt, receipts? Do you, anybody else does that? Always. Who said always? Be brave. Okay, I see. I saw the point. How many men like to shop? Okay, we got a couple. Good. <laughs> I'm talking like clothes shopping, Eric. Purses. I'm just trying to get unselfish love, right? As you sow, you shall reap. So you do some things that she likes. More of the story. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word of God. You know, the way that you speak to your wife, men, is so important. You want to wash her with the words of your mouth, right? You want to speak the word of God over her. You want to pray over her. You want to talk to her um, as Jesus would talk to the church, right? And you want to build her up in the things of God. So that in turn, he might present the church himself in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy, set apart for God and blameless. Even so, husbands should and are morally obligated to love their own wives, being in a sense their own body. This is, this is a litmus test right here. It says, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own body, but instead he nourishes it, he protects it. And he cherishes it just as Christ does a church because we are members and parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother should be joined and be faithfully devoted to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery of two becoming one is great, but I'm speaking with reference to the relationship of Christ in the church. However, each man among you, without exception, is to love his wife as his very own self with behavior worthy of respect and esteem always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. And the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him, prefers him, and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him, and holding him dear. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll finish with this little thing, and then we'll close, because I want to just touch on parenting. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That is, accept their guidance and their discipline as his representatives, for this is right. For obedience teaches wisdom and self-discipline. Honor, esteem, value as precious your father and mother, and be respectful to them. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may have a long life on the earth. It goes on to say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. Don't be indifferent in your parenting. Be all in. Bring them up tenderly with loving kindness and discipline and instruction of the Lord. Listen, parenting is not for wimps. And I just, I close with this. Be actively engaged with your kids. I remember many, many, many years ago, I was outside doing some yard work, and Abby was talking to me. She was little at that time. And man, she was just a chatterbox. She would just go on and on and on, you know? So I'm, I'm like, I'm never going to get any work done if I don't work. So I'm like doing stuff. I had my back turned to her. And the Holy Spirit told me, right there, he said, turn around and look her in the eyes. And I've, I've tried my best from that day forward by unction of the Spirit to make sure I give eye contact to everybody in my household. Because it shows that I care. It shows that I'm listening. It feeds them emotionally, right? And lets them know that I value them. Thanks again so much for listening to this episode. If you'd like to get more of our content, you can subscribe wherever you're listening, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. You can also watch our weekend messages at youtube.com forward slash anchor faith when they air every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Subscribe to us so you never miss a message and leave us a comment or a like. It really does help. You sharing, rating, and commenting on this podcast and any of our content is the best way to keep it in circulation for others to be influenced with this message of God's kingdom. So please consider sending a link to friends and family, sharing on social media, or simply giving us a rating. And finally, if you'd like more information about Anchor Faith Church and support the work we're doing from St. Augustine, Florida in igniting the city, impacting the nation, and influencing the world, you can visit us at anchorfaith.com. 